Welcome to the Inspired Professional Podcast, a place where you can listen to some incredible people talk about their stories of making a career change. In each episode, I'll be asking them how they made their move, when they decided it was the right time, and I'll also be giving some advice to those of you who've been thinking about making a change but don't know where to start. I'm your host, Kathleen, and let's get to it. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on another episode today. A lot has happened since my last one and there's been a lot to process as well. As COVID-19 has affected many countries in the world, including Australia, I hope that everyone is staying safe and adapting well to the new social distancing measures. It's been really difficult to navigate through the constant media stream about this pandemic, but I trust that we will get through this period as best as we can. Now, today's episode is a longer one than usual, and I hope that you enjoy listening whilst passing the time by staying at home. My guest today is a fellow dentist who has been featured in multiple media outlets about his transition from dentistry to becoming a co-founder of an incredibly successful business. Dr. Omar Sabre is a dentist turned entrepreneur. Graduating from the University of Otago, Omar moved to private practice and became intensely involved in the education space, working closely with leading dental manufacturers, universities and conferences to present his work. In 2017, and in the face of adversity, he set out to start Maison de Sabre, a pure play premium leather goods brand, and hasn't looked back since. Currently based in the Gold Coast, Omar has just joined the Forbes 30 Under 30 list of 2020 alongside his business partner and brother Zane. Last week, I caught up with Omar and talked to him about his journey thus far. How are you going? Hey, good. How are you? Hey, good, good. Nice to finally um, catch up. Yeah, 100%. It's just, um, as you can imagine, it's just been um, a bit of a crazy period for everyone. Yeah, no, I was going to start off by um, asking you how you're going with everything because I know it's been, at least for, for me even, it's been like a crazy like two months um, even just hearing about it and now a crazy two weeks uh, having it ramp up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's really affected everybody across all regions. I, I don't think there's any professions or any areas that are really safe at the moment. It's crazy to think that um, you know dentistry's taken the hit that it has, but we kind of we kind of um, expected that because it's like it's such a hazardous profession to start with, you yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. So you know, continuing to be exposed to that sort of stuff, I don't think really made sense to anyone. So I think it's. I mean, in New Zealand, at least, it's been a pretty smart move where, you know, they've called off or they've canned basically all clinics and um, forced them to shut down um, apart from uh, emergency treatment. I think it's still, everything's still open here, right? We're up to uh, level three from the ADA, which is essentially emergency only. Um, yeah. Which is nuts. pretty insane. Because yeah. the thing is, there isn't like, there isn't an end date at all. No. So that's, um, I think that's a scary thing. Um, but I mean, from a dental perspective, I guess it's a little bit easier to sort of manage that financially when you've got like dentists on commission and stuff like that, yeah. because if they're not working, then they're not earning, I guess. Yeah, mm. yeah 100%. So I don't know, it's a bit it's a bit crazy. But um, in any case, like, what are you what were you doing? Sorry, before everything hit everyone, really, not just not just business. Yeah, we, we had so much on. So, um, well, it's crazy. I mean, um, we we ended we actually ended last year with a trip to shanghai 
Oh, so nice. we were in Shanghai last year in November. We got invited by the Australian Trade Commission to uh, go to like a world um, export kind of expo. I, mm. I think there's a better way to say that. But it was basically a, a huge um, export expo that um, took place in Shanghai. And so we got invited as part of the, um, the Australian delegate. And that was insane. You know, we were um, meeting with all sorts of people and we had all this exciting stuff that was um, starting to get lined up for us. Um, then at the uh, in December, we um, got into talks with um, a large, uh, real, uh, sorry, a large um, department store in um, in Ginza in Tokyo. Oh wow! And yeah, so we were um, going to be one of their first um, sort of um, pop up foreign brands um, that were going to be in their in their store. So we were really excited about that. And we were starting to plan how we were going to execute that and everything. Um, then we started having, um, you know, all these plans for uh, the U.S. And we were also planning on growing into South Korea. So my business partner, Zane, actually went to New York in Jan to start setting that up. And then I was supposed to be in Tokyo towards the end of Feb. And there was all the stuff that was supposed to happen that we just had to call quits on. So his trip to New York was probably the last international trip that we were able to take. Mm. Um, oh, actually, I lie. We went to Singapore um, at the start of Feb. So we were in Singapore. And that was in February was when Singapore was starting to experience it. Yeah. But the thing is with Singapore, like that was their height back then. And they only had like 80 cases. And I think now they're only sitting at like 300 or something. But because they're so well regulated over there that they weren't as impacted. Yeah. So we went at the height of, I guess, Singapore's little crisis. But um when we went, it was it was kind of crazy. Like we got pulled up at um, customs over there for our trip to Shanghai back in um, back in November before anyone even knew that there was an outbreak. Yeah, I'm um, surprised you did. I I actually was in Shanghai in in November as well. Just um, oh, really? just visiting my grandparents. Um, yeah. And then when I left and came back, I was like, oh man, like we literally just missed. We just all yeah, of that. we literally just missed yeah. it, which is insane. Yeah, it's insane, but. Like, I, I think when we came back from Shanghai in November, that's when the bushfires were on. Yes. As yes. well, which was also another thing that was really like, it just hit us out of the blue. Um, as I remember getting off the plane, like from uh, in Brisbane and just looking at the sky. And I was like, I was like, if we landed back in China, this is just <laughs> insane. Yeah. You couldn't see anything. Yeah. When I, when I landed back, it was actually clearer in China where we were yeah. than it was in, in Australia. Shanghai yeah. November was amazing. It was so beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was a massive shock. But yeah, we did Singapore in Feb. Um, and that was another big thing. So we we went and met with um, Facebook's APAC head office in, um, in Singapore. And, um, you know, we were doing all this cool stuff with them. They were going to do this um, branded uh, study with us and try and figure out, you know, how um, their marketing has helped us grow internationally um, and all that stuff. And we had some amazing budgets set aside um, from Facebook and yeah, there, there was a lot of things that um, that have had to be um, put on pause, but um, I think we're in a much better place than a lot of other businesses as a whole, just because we've been able to, I guess, because we've been lucky to kind of have so much going on all the time that we have a lot of backups. Yeah. We have a lot of things that we can fall back on as well. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, I guess, mainly starting off online, that's also helped you as well without having, I guess, the brick and mortar? Yeah, I think that's helped us massively. It's, um, it's different in different places of the world. Like everybody talks about online retailing and stuff like that as this very elusive concept. And, you know, it's something that everybody should try and do once in their life, Yeah. Um, whatever. But um, 
like I remember the first trip we did in LA, uh, did to LA um, last year. We um, went for this like business owners sort of conference thing, um, and there we were like one of the only people that were only online. Oh. So that was like, that came as a real shock to me because, um, you know, I thought that's how everyone did it. But um, like in the States, for example, a lot of them will be mixed. So it'll be mixed retail where it'll be like either um, wholesale, which is huge um, in the US and around like 30, 30 to 40% of their business will be online. So they still have a massive reliance on like wholesale. Um, whereas because this entire thing was so new to us and we really didn't have like any foundations, we were just like, nah, let's just do, let's just do um, online and keep it online only. Even if we get, um, you know, proposals from people to wholesale or do whatever, let's just do that. And I think it's paid off really well, like long-term. Yeah. I guess it's just been like a bit of a crazy ride for you to begin with. Um, yeah. I would just want to take us back to, I guess, the world of dentistry, because that's really where you started yeah. off from. Um, yeah. Why did you want to do dentistry in the first place? Because I know I know yeah. you said before that you still like teeth and whatnot. Yeah, I know that's like the question that I remember all my patients used to ask me as well. Yeah, so true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in the um, in the waiting oh, not in the waiting room, sorry, in the surgery, like yeah. you know, as we'd be, be chit chatting and something like, yeah. well, why the hell are you in this profession? You know, they really <laughs> didn't see any glamour um, or any um, any of the things that we saw. So when I graduated high school um so New Zealand I think in our year when we graduated or the year before they kind of changed up university entrance a little bit and so they moved to this point system where you needed to have like a set certain amount of points for like each um each profession or each um subjects that you wanted to take at university level yeah so initially when I applied for university my mum's a pharmacist so she was like hey why don't you get into pharmacy it's a pretty good profession um and it's something that you know we could do together we could open a pharmacy and all that stuff so I was like yeah sweet I applied for pharmacy at um, Auckland University because we were living out in Auckland and um got in right away did an interview got in and I was like oh that kind of sucks that's like it wasn't much of a challenge Oh, okay. Um, at all. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, oh, like, is that sort of it? Because you kind of hear all these crazy stories about people applying for university and how yeah. hard it is and all yeah, that stuff. And I was did. like, that was a bit um, underwhelming. So <laughs> then I started talking to like a few of our family friends and stuff that were in professions. And one of them um, turned out to be a dentist. And he was like, oh, why don't you come on down, um, sort of come to the clinic, check out what I do, um, see if it's, you know, see if it's something that you enjoy. And at that point in time, I actually, I never even thought about dentistry. It wasn't anything that I had ever crossed my mind after I went and you know we hung out and um, I sort of checked out how he interacted with patients and how he had set his practice up so he was he was very very chill um, which was awesome and I was just like oh man this is this is cool like you can kind of do whatever you want right you're, you're your own boss at the end of the day yeah so that seemed really appealing and then um, and then the other the other side of it was the fact that you could um, you could start a procedure and you could end it in an hour and make like a significant difference. And that was the thing that I was like tossing up between um, applying for or, you know, trying to gun towards um, dentistry or, or medicine. You know, a lot of people um, <laughs> say that dentists want to be doctors and stuff like yeah. that, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, we're not real doctors apparently. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 Yeah, I actually even got a birthday cake one year from my older brother saying, um, saying you're not a real doctor, like pass it all over it. No, I, I get that often. Like I have a close friend. Um, we basically got the same marks for uni and he did med and I did dent. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. nowadays he's basically doing surgery training and like yeah I think one time I was like oh I had like this really difficult extraction he was just he just said to me 
you're, you're literally doing surgery on a tooth. Like, do you want to just yeah, chill yeah, out? No, like no, I'm yeah. doing like organ transplant. I was like, okay, fine. I'm doing real stuff. Yeah, I know. I was like, okay, yeah, not a real that's, doctor. That's Sorry. Yeah. So you just went for, for dentistry instead of med. Yeah. So we went down, moved down to Dunedin because um, in New Zealand we only have one dental school. Um, so we moved down to Dunedin, did health science for the first year, um, got freaked out um, by everybody there because <laughs> um, it was just so crazy competitive um so that was like a bit unexpected but yeah I got through that year um applied for dentistry did my interview did my UMAT um got in and just fell in love with it um wow pretty much yeah did you enjoy uh dentistry at uni like when you when you were a student when you got in were you like oh this is it like this is awesome yeah it was cool it was I really really enjoyed university like absolutely loved it um we, I mean, Otago is like, it's sort of like a different, it's a different league of its own, not, not the university, but, um, where it's positioned and where it's placed, like the entire city, Dunedin, where, where it is, is, um, it's university city. So it's, it's absolutely amazing. Like you can, everything's so free, everything's, everyone's so like, um, chilled out. Um, you can make friends with whoever you want and stuff like that. So the, the entire university experience was amazing down there plus like our class was really great as well you know everybody really got along um quite well there was a big social element to dental school actually so um you know dental school had the best social programs out of any other um, faculty we'd go skiing every year um we had um all these like balls and events and um you know everyone has pub crawls and stuff like that as well yeah (laughs) Um, it was it was a lot of fun yeah and then classes were were pretty good. Like I, um, I was always into like the sciences and stuff. So at high school, I did, um, the sciences at, um, at scholarship level. Um, and that was really cool. Um, and then even through uni. So like when we did anatomy and stuff, um, I got, I got, you know, I topped the class for that and got a few awards and material science as well. Um, topped the class in that. And then, so I kind of, um, in my mind, I was like, I found the the thing. Yeah. I found my thing. I found my purpose in life. This is awesome um, because there's so many people out there that are like so unhappy with their jobs and stuff. And yeah. I was like, and, and they hate university as well. So I was like, this is awesome. If I can keep doing this and just crush it, then I'm going to be so happy. Yeah. And what was it like when you, I guess, graduated and you had your first job? Was that like an escalation of how much you enjoyed it? Nah, it, it was. The oh, no. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that's, that's the funny thing. So like when I graduated, uh, my first job um, was in Hamilton. So it was like a a smaller region just outside of Auckland. And, um, it was just weird because, um, I remember, I remember doing my first day and like, you know, seeing patients and all that stuff and then going home and I didn't know anyone there as well. So I was like, you just go to work, you come home. And then I was like, what's next? You know, like what happens after, like after work and home, there must be something in between, but there wasn't. No, there's not. (laughs) Wasn't. So that (laughs) That was like a massive wake-up call for me. I was like, what the hell? Like, is this live? It was so weird because um, coming out of university, which was like so full of events, and I did a lot at uni. You know, I led like the Students Association in our last year and stuff like that and did a whole heap of cool stuff. And then you get to like real life and it's like you go to work, you come home, you cook, you sleep, and you repeat. And I'm just like, oh, this has got it. There's, you know, this, is, this has got to um, suck for everyone. So added to a few of my other mates as well. And, you know, they were all like, man, this is really underwhelming. Like, yeah. because at uni, they hype it up to you. They're like, they oh do. my God, like so crazy exciting. 
you're going to make all this money. Yeah. You're going to see all these cool cases. <laughs> and I think everybody focuses on the money thing as well because you're like, because you're broke as a student. Yeah, and you are. You are. <laughs> so true. And then you come out and you're like, okay, where's the money? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was um, it was a little bit underwhelming. So I I, um, I got into, I, I figured out, I mean, I figured I'd just um, focus on things that I really wanted to do in the profession and keep myself busy that way. So that was like a great, I, I guess, first move. I just um, signed up to some associations, um, started really focusing on the type of dentistry that I wanted to do as well, even though it was like first year out and you should do everything. Um, I started to try and get the cases that I wanted um, yeah. to treat. It was just real basic stuff. It was just like um, you know doing an anterior restoration. But typically, like even that sort of basic stuff would go to like a more senior dentist yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, so tried to do all that stuff and, you know, really found, um, uh, some fire and some passion, um, in doing that, which was really cool. Um, yeah. And then just found my bearings. I think at the end of first year, um, I got invited to be, to sit on, um, the New Zealand Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. So I got invited to like sit on their little, um, board or whatever and be wow. like, you know, the young, young dentist. Oh, the recent um, grad person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then moved up to Auckland after my first year. Yeah. And how was, you were a dentist for a little while, weren't you? Yeah. For four years. Yeah. Oh, four years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How did you enjoy it after your first year? Like, did you still find that doing anterior restorations and the things you liked, were you kind of going on that path where you were thinking, oh, this is, this getting better. Like I'm kind of yeah. liking this more, or was it more still like, um, oh, I, I graduated. Oh, this is it. Like what, what's my next step? Oh, this, yeah. oh, this is still it. You know, like, was it still that yeah. or did you, did you like it a bit more as the years went on? I, I definitely liked it a lot more in my second year. So I, I was really, really fortunate to work um, at a practice that was um, really well equipped and just had like really great mentorship. I had an amazing boss um, in the Auckland practice. Um, and then I actually met her at like a conference in Sydney. Um, cause in my first year as well, like when I was in Hamilton, I just wanted to get the hell out of Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically spent like all my money on like conferences and courses and stuff. And they'd always be Australia based. Cause of I, course. Like, I don't want to stay in New Zealand. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So I got to meet a lot of people through that. And one of them was, you know, my boss and, um, very fortunate that she saw that, um, she saw something in me and, um, and was like, you know, um, I'll mentor you and all this stuff. And she was really into the whole, um, cosmetic, um, side of dentistry, yeah, which was awesome. And then that really aligned with, um, what I wanted to do. So, um, I kind of started thinking, you know, like that would be the thing that would be my calling, I guess, or, or the thing that I'd be really passionate about. Yeah. Um, and the thing with me is like, if I'm passionate about something, I'll just go, I'll just go nuts. I'll go, um, you know, I'll go 110% with it. So it was the same thing. So, you know, started doing a whole heap of conferences, um, learning everything I possibly could um, at that point, really stepped up my role at that um, at that academy um, and then started treating the patients that I wanted to treat as well. So we started doing a lot more complex cases. I learned about, um, you know, occlusal management, um, you know, doing um, large um, ceramic um, cases and rebuilding bites and stuff like that. I went to Spain and did the DSD course. Did every, like literally just did whatever I could to try and be um, the best that I could. Um, and I, at that stage, I genuinely loved what I did. I was so into it. Um, I even, you know, I started, I started doing um, presentations for like um, Ivoclar. I started presenting for GC. They flew me to Japan a few times as well. 
Yeah, um, I was gonna say I saw your um I saw your headshot as like a list of um speakers and whatnot. Um, yeah. yeah, I was just like, oh, I didn't realize he was um lecturing as well. Yeah, yeah, I that's what I'm saying. Like once I get into something, I just go, I just go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, with it and just try to find every any way that I could, you know, sort of possibly be the best at it. But that's why I loved it so much because I, I, you know, I did find I had a purpose like within the profession and I had, you know, a really clear goal of where I wanted to, where I wanted to end up and where I wanted to be Yeah. Um, with it as well. Yeah. With your current business, I was reading that I guess you started this while you were still working and this yeah. was at a time when you were still doing all of this cosmetic stuff and you're really probably mm. getting really into that um, that side of things. How did the idea for um, Maison de Sabre come out? Because you were definitely yeah. a, like really, really busy with all of this dentistry stuff yeah. that you're getting, finally getting into. And then this comes about. Um, I know it's obviously been shared a few times uh, in different articles and whatnot, but I thought I'd just get you to uh, discuss it on here. So the basic backstory is, you know, um, my brother was studying dentistry, so we um, forced his hand um, to that a little bit. And in his third year is when, you know, this dilemma sort of happened where we found out that my dad had cancer and he had um, leukemia at that stage. problem that presented itself to us was, I mean, firstly, it was, you know, our, um, our dad's health condition. And then secondly, it was the fact that he couldn't work anymore. And my brother's fees were so expensive. You know, I think they were around $60,000 a year because he was in, um, you know, as a New Zealander, you're considered an international student. So at that stage, my parents were like, hey, um, to keep your brother in university, you kind of need to step up and you need to pay his bills for him. So in my mind, I was... Firstly, I was like, yeah, of course, you know, like you you got to help family out. But then yeah, secondly, I was like, that sucks because, <laughs> <laughs> because I just, I've been spending all my money on like um, courses um, and traveling and stuff like that. Uh, I still have a massive student loan um, and I was like saving up to try and buy a house. And like, I don't know if you know Auckland that well, but Auckland is ridiculously expensive to buy a house. Oh, I didn't know that. It's yeah, it's wow. stupidly expensive. So, um, you know, I'd saved up a bit of cash and stuff and I was kind of ready to um, make a deposit on like a small unit. And, um, and, and that's when this all went down. So, you know, my second reaction was, you know, the fact that it sucked and I was like, well, I don't want to get myself into debt by, um, you know, getting out a massive bank loan, um, and having to bankroll them through uni. So what's the, what's the kind of alternative? Like, what am I going to do? And I thought about it, you know, I was like, um, okay, well, can I work more hours? And at that stage, I was already working like crazy hours. Uh, you know, could I do anything else that could make me more money? Could I like buy and flip like, I don't know, basic stuff. And, but there wasn't anything that was going to generate like enough, um, revenue to kind of support them through uni. Yeah. Cause Griffith gets uh, real expensive after, th- after third year. Super expensive. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And plus it's like, then you got to think about like living costs as well, which, uh, which are a whole nother beast. Yeah. So, um, at the time, um, you know, we were reading about e-commerce and, um, and how that was kind of shaping up to the, to be the next, um, latest and greatest thing. And our dad was a businessman. So, you know, he was more a businessman in the traditional sense, but he would always talk about e-commerce. So he'd always be like, you know, why aren't you boys selling stuff online? It's easy money. Um, (laughs) you know, all my friends are doing it. And he had a couple of mates that were doing, um, online business and you know you know my dad's from an older generation and you know they were kind of telling him oh it's just so easy compared to you know dealing with customers and blah 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 
but I think they were doing it at a very superficial level because it's definitely um, <laughs> definitely takes a toll on you. Um, but yeah, so that had all kind of been accumulating at the back of my mind. It was like, okay, like there is this other pathway, but how do we actually execute that? What does it look like? What are we going to be offering that's actually going to be different uh, and make some sort of impact? And um, so we were sitting on it for a while. I think, um, you know, when we initially thought about e-commerce, we sat around for about three months just thinking about what we could potentially do. And then I remember I was out for lunch with my mum one day and we were in um, in Ponsonby. So we were just having a bit of a break from life. I think dad was in hospital um, at that stage and just trying to clear our minds and stuff. And then um, she went to the bathroom and then as she stood up, there was somebody sitting behind her and it was this really well-dressed lady. And she had this, um, she had this like uh, phone case that was from Louis Vuitton. And on the back of it, it had like her name um, printed on it. Oh, the and monogram. Was, yeah. Was, yeah. And I was like, that is such a cool thing. That's insane. And then so I quickly Googled it and like looked at it and it was like 600 bucks. Um, or whatever. And I was like, this is nuts. There's no way someone's paying 600 bucks. So I got on the phone with my brother right away. I got on the phone with Zane and I was like, dude, I think I've found the idea. And he was like, what is it? And I was like, I think we're going to be in, um, doing phone cases. And he was like, okay, like he didn't, he didn't really, um, I think both of us didn't really see it at that point. We just knew, okay, here's a starting point. Here's the idea. And, um, and, and this is what we're going to do. So we took that idea. We started researching it. We found, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of competitors and stuff. And then we were like, um, why are we just doing cases? That's weird. Let's do um, like a whole suite of leather goods. And we looked at the market and we were kind of like, there's nothing really that we personally like that was available on the market. I think our favorite brand for leather goods at the time was like Bulgari. We, we didn't own anything from Bulgari, but like we saw what they what they offered and stuff. And even though Bulgari was like a jewelry brand primarily, they had what they'd taken from jewelry is they'd applied like, you know, that technical sense and that attention to detail from, from jewelry and applied it to their leather goods. And that's why they were so good at it. And so we kind of adapted that same philosophy where, Hey, um, actually dentists are really good at the micro stuff. They sweat the small stuff really well. Let's try and apply some of that knowledge into this industry and see what we can get from it. So we ended up, um, I ended up designing like a whole range of stuff. And, and that's something I never saw myself doing as well, like designing stuff. Um, but we did it, you know, we designed a whole, um, a whole collection of, of goods. We went and um, tried to find some manufacturing partners. And it was just, um, initially, I would say it was like really, really heart shattering and really, really dream shattering as well, because it's so difficult to try and find somebody who's on the same trajectory or somebody who's got the same mindset as you. The other thing is like when you're a nobody, then um, it's kind of difficult actually to convince people that, Hey, I want to order, um, you know, this, this amount of units or I want to set, set this up or whatever. Nobody really wants to kind of um, nobody kind of wants to listen to you. Yeah. Um, at the beginning as well. So those are some of the hardships that we face. So we actually, we ended up spending an entire year trying to do product development Wow. Um, so that first year I had to, we paid, um, for his fees just, um, you know, out of whatever savings I had left. And then we got to a point where we scrapped everything that we were doing because it was just impossible, um, to try and get the quality that we were after. And we said, let's just stick to the original idea, which was like the tech cases. Ah, so not try and do the whole suite, just start off with the phone case. Mm. Yeah. Just try and start with one thing. And I was like, look, if we look at all the successful companies in the world, they all started with like one thing that they just mastered 
And then they took that one thing and then made it into all these other things, right? So that's the main concept. Then you can expand it to all these other lines. So we we looked at that and we were like, okay, sweet, let's just try and do that. So we went back to the drawing board. We did the um, we did the cases and we found a way that was different to everyone else um, at the time. And it's crazy because it's only been two and a half years. Um, but back when we started, there wasn't anything that was at the same level as to what we were doing. So it's not just the product, but it was we thought about it from the experience point of view. So we thought about somebody's going to buy this and they're buying it online. They've never seen it in real life. We basically have to blow their socks off and give them like the most insane, the best experience they've ever had purchasing anything online. So that's what we tried to emulate and, and, and create. And we looked at, you know, some of the designer brands that were out there and how they were doing that, what types of packaging were they using, what types of messaging they were putting out there to attract customers and how they were um, dealing with customers and stuff. And then we did all of that in our, in our own way. So, you know, we invested a lot of money into creating beautiful packaging. Um, we invested a lot of money into um, our communications um, as well, our first website, um, even content right away. You know, Instagram is a huge platform and it was even for business back there because it wasn't as saturated. Um, and, you know, we invested all that time and effort into doing that because the way we thought about it is like if we screw it up from the beginning, then no one's really going to take you seriously after that. Like you really only get one shot at launching um, at launching something. So um, yeah, we ended up um, we ended up doing the cases. We launched and um, we were just blown away. Like from the the moment we launched, we had sales. Like it wasn't anything substantial. Like we'd maybe get like three or four sales a day. But at the same time, we were like, how do how is this happening? You know, we didn't know about marketing. We weren't doing any marketing. Oh, so you just launched a website with the Instagram and whatnot. Yeah, it was just Instagram. It was basically just Instagram. So everything was just coming through Instagram. And then we started getting sales and we were just like, this is crazy, you know? So suddenly like our eyes lit up and we were like, wow, we can actually um, do something with this. You know, we can make this into a legitimate business. So we launched in um, mid-July 2017, and then by December, I think we launched, we made like a couple grand first month, a couple more the next month. And I think in December we'd done, we did like $13,000 online, and that was like no marketing. We were just like, honestly, what's going on? That's amazing. So that was like, you know, that in itself was an insane period because I was still in New Zealand. Zane was still at uni and, um, you know, our schedules kind of got just flipped on their heads. I think Zane was, um, cause we were dispatching everything out of Australia. So Zane was, um, he rented out a small space in someone's, um, like workshop essentially. Um, and, uh, it was like a, it was like a, a workshop that did, um, they did, they made presses basically for, um, some of the machinery we were using to um, to press the gold foils on our products, so they made they made them there, and then so we um, we rented out this like <laughs> like one by one square meter little space, <laughs> there, um, and then stored everything in his apartment. And um, so Zane would go, I think, at like four a.m. before having to head into the hospital. Wow. Um, the products, and then I'd be up early in New Zealand doing emails and stuff like that, and then at night would go in and you know do more work and we wouldn't sleep till like two or three in the morning. Um, and then some weekends I'd fly over and stuff like that. And then I remember finishing work in December and then flying over same day, like got off the plane. And then, um, we just went to like pack orders, um, for Christmas and stuff to um, make sure everybody got them in, um, 
got them in time. And was this just the two of you as a team? It was just, just yeah. It was just, wow, it was just, just you two doing all of these orders yeah. across two yeah. countries. Yeah, that's across insane. Two country. That's yeah. insane. So it was just, um, it was a phenomenal time, I guess. Um, it was amazing. You know, we, we did a lot of stuff. We pushed ourselves to the limit and we did things that, you know, we probably didn't think we could do. And then at the end of that, like after Christmas passed and stuff, we kind of had a bit of a break. I stayed over on the Gold Coast um during new years and we thought about okay what are we going to do next um with this and that's when we started educating ourselves on marketing how we advertise how we push messages to potential customers and in january we actually started um doing paid advertisements and you know we met um, some really amazing people that sort of believed in our vision and what we wanted to do and um, they were really able to um, you know our, our marketing team is still with us today um we're really able to help us fulfill that and, and push it out yeah. So were you both always interested in business? I know you said before that you really liked the sciences and you really excelled in science, um, but yeah. were you both always interested in business? I mean, I know everyone has this pipe dream of like, I'm going to own <laughs> yeah, something so one true. day, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm going to start my, I mean, there are memes on Facebook where it's like the amount yeah. of times my friend and I have said, let's start a business and it never happens. Um, Everybody but, does it, Yeah, right? but was over, that, was that something coffee. that, yeah, exactly. Was that something that yeah. you and Zane were really, really keen on doing or was it just something that was in the back and, you know, maybe it might yeah. happen? Yeah. I mean, business, um, I guess was something that was ingrained in us, like from kids, but we didn't necessarily realize it. Um, like to put things into perspective, and I'm sure it's the same with a lot of um, kids that have immigrant parents. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, it's true. Every holiday, every summer, every weekend, um, you'd be working your parents. Yeah. Yep. And so that parents. was us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was us growing up as well. You know, we were working um, with our dad. Um, we didn't have any days off, but I guess we were exposed to business our entire lives, and we saw the way that he was operating. We saw the way that he was able to grow. Um, his business and um, the way that he was able to, you know, provide a nice lifestyle for us, be able to send us to university and put us up in a nice house and stuff like that. We saw all of that. And, um, you know, when we were kids, um, I remember as, and this is something that I only really remembered a few months ago, but I remember seeing my dad go to work when we were kids and, um, and, you know, he'd, he'd like start the day and he'd, put his shirt on and all that stuff. And he'd like have this like cool briefcase that it'd take with him to work. And I remember we were, um, I think we were heading to Australia one, one day when we were kids, I think we were going to the Gold Coast or something from New Zealand. And, um, and I remember seeing this guy on the plane sitting next to me. He just looked so cool. He was like wearing this really nice suit. He had this awesome briefcase and he opened it up and he had this like laptop inside and his cell phone and all that stuff. And I remember thinking as a kid, and kind of dreaming like oh my god I wish this could be me one day no way and I just thought <laughs> I thought man that looks so incredibly cool like this guy just has everything um sussed out he's got everything sorted for himself he's so well prepared he's going to his meeting he has to fly to a different city to take it and all this stuff and I was like man that is like that is the vision and then somewhere along that that path or somewhere along my um I forgot all about that got into, you know, parents were like do sciences and then I got good at sciences and all that stuff. But I also did economics and I was really good at economics at school and statistics and stuff um, as well. And then it wasn't until the other day I was having a conversation with Zane and we were talking about this exact question. Like, did you think when we were kids that we were going to see ourselves doing this? And we were really hard about it. And then I remembered this. I was like, I remember actually as a kid, like I saw this dude and I really wanted to be that guy growing up. 
And then Zane, Zane is like a little bit different. You know, Zane actually always wanted to do business. So Zane, Zane didn't want to do dentistry at all to start with. So we kind of, that's why I said in the beginning, we kind of forced his hand um, into doing dentistry because I, I thought it was an amazing profession because at that point I'd already fallen in love with it. And I was like, this is insane. If we both do it, we can open a clinic together. And I guess we could run that as a business. Yeah, of course. And do something amazing with it and brand it, you know, in our own style um, and do stuff like that. But um, Zane actually, in, even at university, he was um, he was doing little side hustles and stuff like that. You know, like I remember um, when those hoverboards um, were like really popular, he, he used to like import a whole heap of them and start selling them to his classmates and, um, and do all this sort of stuff. So he's always been, you know, he's always had that sort of spirit about him. And then um, when push came to shove, we kind of um, just sort of, you know, combined our heads and, and, and figured out a strategy that was going to work for us. Yeah, and you were talking about how it was difficult to be taken seriously when you were first starting with um, getting things manufactured and whatnot. Were there any other challenges that you faced during your initial phase apart from, I guess, being on two different countries, being just the two of you and not being taken seriously. I think for me, the craziest part about your story is that one, you were just doing your dentist duties during the day, but how you managed to go from when you said, I saw a lady carrying this phone case to actually making it and then to actually see a product, right? That That's just... That's insane. It um, is. It is yeah, crazy. Yeah, and that's the, the coolest bit about your story is how you were just like, oh, yeah, I want to make phone cases and then boom. I mean, it's not that easy, well, obviously. You, well, but, yeah. I know, but you know what? Like, okay, the one thing that like stops people and doing whatever they want to do, right? Like if you want to wake up in the morning, you want to go take that run. The one thing that stops you is like that little voice in your head that goes, no, you can't do it. Yeah, that's and true. It was like, and to be honest, that applies in every single aspect of life, whether you're starting out a new venture, whether you're just like simply rocking up to work in the morning, whether in dentistry you're about to do a procedure for the first time that you've only read about or studied. It's always that little voice that goes, no, you can't do it or just stop what you're doing and let someone else do it. You know how you said, um, how do we go from seeing something and then going to produce it? Yeah. I had that same, I had that same mindset where I was like, how does this, like in the real world, how does this work? How do people, how do you get anything? You know, there has to be, <laughs> there's, this, there's this massive cloud on supply chain and nobody knows how it works, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just a great mystery. So that was, you know, that, at that point I was like, well, I, I just want to work that out. I want to figure out how people are actually doing this stuff. And as you dig deeper and into anything, you, you start to understand it's actually, I mean, I'm, you know, it's actually not that complicated. I'm just trying to make sure I'm saying the right thing. But with anything, it's not that complicated. And especially with manufacturing, what you realize is that there's, you know, there's certain hubs where, um, you know, everybody will move to get stuff done. There's certain regions in the world that are really, really amazing at what they do. Um, you know, there's like a little town in Spain that is that produces, um, you know, like 80% of the world's luxury leather products. Yes. And it's this tiny, tiny little town. Hmm. Right? Um so once you start to figure those things out, then, um, then, you know, you're really just putting the pieces together and you're trying to figure out, okay, like this is the end goal and let me break it up into components. Let me figure out where I can source those components and then how do I put it all together? Yeah. Did you ever feel like you needed to hire someone to be on board because you were both just dentists? And again, it's a mindset thing, isn't it? Hell no. No way. Never. Like we're just going to do it. Yeah. Just do it. Like that. 
at the, I think in the beginning you have nothing, you literally have nothing to lose. That's true. Yeah. In the beginning, you literally have nothing. Like you have, firstly, you have no reputation because like nobody knows you and nobody <laughs> cares. Nobody yeah. cares about what you do. And I think, you know, actually for a lot of people, they want to save face, right? If you fail at something, they do. you want to save face, right? So you, even if you're doing something amazing, you don't want to tell anyone about it because you're afraid you're going to fail. That's so true. That's so true. Even with this, I was just like, actually, that, this was the opposite. Like me doing this, I, I told everyone because I was like, if I tell everyone, I'll do it. It was like a reverse yeah. save face, yeah. you know. Yeah. I was just like, if I yeah. tell everyone and I don't do it, that's awkward. Yeah, we did that as well. Yeah, we did. Um, I mean, we didn't tell everyone, but we told like a very select group of close friends. Yeah, yeah. That we were doing it. And, and these friends kind of were doing their own thing in their own spaces as well. So it was kind of like, you know, we all had this common goal. Um, but, you know, doing that actually also helps as well because you, you have to force yourself yeah, you suddenly to <laughs> just fail and like push it under the rug. And hope that nobody finds out about it. Yeah. Did you ever think that it was going to be as big as it was, as it is, sorry, today? I mean, I know you had a lot of belief and a lot of passion for your project. And in the first few months, you're obviously already seeing some sales. But did you ever imagine that it would grow to this point? Okay. So when we were planning the idea, I didn't have any understanding of how revenue actually worked for a business, right? So that might seem really weird, but um, I didn't take into account, um, for example, like cost of production cost of marketing, wages, rent, like all the stuff. And you're like, oh, hey, if I buy something for a dollar and sell for two, I've just made another dollar. <laughs> That's not how it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, I, um, I thought like, yeah, um, this could be a cool little side project that we could do for like a year or whatever. And if I buy something for X price and sell for this price, then I'm happy with whatever. In the beginning, I was like, hey, if we make 30 grand purpose fees, that's all good. Like before we launched, I was like, sweet, that's easy. I fulfilled my role as older brother, <laughs> got him through uni, yeah. made my parents happy, um, end of story. And then um, when we went online, we started selling and, you know, we did a couple of grand and stuff like that. I was like, okay, probably ramp this up mm. um, a little bit. So I was like, okay, like let's, um, let's aim for, I think at the end of the first month, I was like, oh, let's aim for like a hundred grand. Wow. Um, for the year, for the year, for the oh, year. Okay. So the end of first month, I was like, I was like, okay, like if we're making this amount of money and I started breaking it down, I was like, okay, that means each day I need to do this much over a week. I need to do this much over a month. I need to do this much. When you kind of break it down into those stages, you're like, actually, it's not that hard to achieve those revenue goals. Right. Because if you have a process in place and you kind of know what you need to do, then you're a lot more switched on. You're able to do that. So then when the second month, third month passed, I think at the end of December, I was like, okay, um, I reckon we could do two mil. And, um, and when we started marketing and doing all that stuff, everything started to happen. I was like, we're on a trajectory. Something is something big's about to happen. Um, and we, we ended the, our first year, we did 1.9 mil. That's insane. In our first year. And I was like, okay, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. That, that <laughs> must feel really, um, really gratifying just to watch the numbers. Because it's something that you, it's something that you did by yourself, you know, and that's the greatest that's the greatest satisfaction. It's the greatest gratification because you didn't take, you didn't get a handout from somebody, you know, you didn't, um, you didn't ask all your friends and family to pitch in and, and give you money and all that stuff. You yeah. did it all yourself. Self-made. And I think, um, you know, when you do do it yourself, then there's no better feeling when you actually do succeed, right? Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can at the end of the day say, Oh, nah, but he had help from so-and-so or his parents lent him that money or, you know, whatever people say these days, you know, people are, people can be nasty at times. 
Um, yeah, they can. When you do succeed, yeah. So what do you think was the key to the, su- the success that you've had with your business? I mean, I'm sure there are multiple factors, but you've grown at a, a pretty rapid pace in the last last little while that since you've started. Yeah. Um, you know, I f- the, the initial key to our success, I can, I can say this um, with great confidence, was the fact that we knew how our target market was. And um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of spiels around target market and and who your niche is and like all that stuff, but um and you know we don't know any of that garbage um, <laughs> back then. But what we identified was um, we were making this product primarily for us, right? So this was something that we really liked and we really wanted. So we we were our own target market, and that's what we identified really early on. So we we're like, hey, what are we into? And how can we extrapolate that, right? So when we started our advertising in January 2018, we um, we started, you know, with um, social advertising, now you can do a lot of targeting and stuff like that. So we just basically targeted people that were into the same stuff that we were into. And it was as simple as that. Yeah. The content that we posted on Instagram was content that we wanted to see, you know? So we released the products we wanted, the colors we wanted, the packaging we wanted, the way that we spoke to our customers was how we wanted to be spoken to. And, and that's what we did in the beginning. And we did that really, really well. And that's what um, resonated with a lot of audiences as well. You know, they were like, okay, I'm loving the way that these guys are doing this. I'm loving the way that I get communicated to. I'm loving the way that my product's arriving. That comes in this beautiful package and it feels great and it smells great. And, and all these, and all these things that you can't, um, it's these things that you can't put your, your finger exactly on the experience. The experience value of buying something, that's what we're really focused on because that's what we we were really into. I know it was only about two years ago, but I remember monogramming things starting to have a bit of a trend starting to grow, uh, which is around the time that, you know, you guys were launching and even before that monogramming was becoming big. Did you did you feel a need to differentiate yourself early on from other companies that were doing that kind of thing? Because I know I know they were doing monogramming, but it wasn't really in the phone case space. Um, there was a yeah. lot of other leather products that were more, more sort of women's handbags and things like that coming out. Um, I guess my question ties into mindset primarily. Yeah. I get a lot of people would say that, oh, that's been done. I'm not going to try and go for it. Whereas I think what's so interesting about you and Zane was that even though you did it in 2017 when other companies had already done monogramming, you still went for it, Um, but in a different space, right? Um, How did you you try and differentiate yourself apart from the fact that it was a phone case because other people were still already doing monogramming in in a similar price point? Mm. So, um, again, it comes back to... I mean, let's take it, we'll take it one step back. You know, everything in the world right now has been done, right? Like every single thing in the world has been done. Electric cars were invented eons ago, but suddenly now they're being redone in a much cooler way. Yeah. Right. There's literally nothing new. Yeah, there's not. (laughs) So, so, and, and we get, you know, some of my mates ask me that question as well. They're like, man, you know, congrats on the success, but like, there was nothing new to start with, right? And they're oh, like, you know, they? you guys went from. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really care because it's true, right? You can't like, you can't, um, you know, BS yourself and be like, oh, I'm, I'm reinventing the wheel or whatever. Mm. But um, what always um, stands is that there's always opportunities to do things better, 
And there's always opportunities to do things in a way that resonates with people in a better way and satisfies them in in different ways and different levels as well. Yeah. So monogramming is like, that's old. That's super old. You know, that's been done since like the 1800s. No, wait, like way earlier. Yeah, it's a super, super old concept. And the thing for us is that it remained an old concept, right? So monogramming remained an old concept and then it transitioned to a luxury concept which um, was amazing, but it was still out of the way for a lot of people, right? And then we saw that as an opportunity to be like, okay, how can we make this something that's suddenly fun? Um, that's something that's like fashionable, that's on trend. Something, again, that's experience-based, right? Because, and the reason why I say experience-based so much is because we're an online first company and the only way people are going to talk about you online is if you give them an experience, right? So that's what we've really doubled down on. And so when people, when, you know, when our customers were initially receiving our products, Instagram would just blow up. Like everybody would just be tagging us, would be, um, you know, commenting, they'd be resharing posts and stuff like that. Initially when we started, you know, influence, every single influencer in Australia like had our product. Um, and it was just crazy, but it was all because we did the experience thing and we found a way to make like this old, you know, this old sort of boring thing, um, relevant again and made it like, and made it fun, put our own twist on it and did exactly what we wanted to see as well. It's like the same, it's like the same with dentistry, right? Like dentistry. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you like a prime example, right? Like my patients, whenever they'd come, whenever they'd come to see me, they'd be like, they'd be like, I used to hate going to the dentist. And I'll be like, why? And they'd say, it's just... <laughs> It was just the same. It was the same crap, like over and over again. You'd come in, they'd tell you off. Yeah. They'd do a procedure, they'd bill you, you'd walk out. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, yeah. that's like old school, old yeah. school dentistry, yeah. right? And then, um, and then they're like, oh, but I love coming to see you. And I'm like, why? It's like, okay, you can't, I come in, I sit down, we have a bit of a chit chat, we crack up, we laugh. You, um, you know, you tell it how it is or whatever. I have my own way of doing dentistry, you know, like when I was practicing and stuff. Um, you know, my boss would always complain, oh, you're just, you're just talking all the time. Or like, I can hear your laughter down the hallway, all the music <laughs> loud in your room yeah. and stuff like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, it was like experience-based. I wanted my patients to sit in that chair, have the best time of their lives, even though, you know, they were getting their tooth drilled or they were getting like a set of veneers, which were costing them like thousands and thousands of dollars. But then in the day, like they need to be leaving, feeling extremely satisfied and then coming back, right? And like everyone else would be like, oh, dentistry is all the same, but it's not. You know, yeah. Pepsi and cola are the same, but they're not. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like it's it's how you present it, and 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 yeah. and what you do to differentiate it. So, in in talking about dentistry, actually, do you think that your background in dentistry has helped you in your current business um, at all? Oh. <laughs> Hell yeah! Really? Um, okay. Yeah, of course. I think I think in dentistry, we're really fortunate to have a lot of discipline. Um, you know, in the way that we communicate with patients and the way that we've been trained as well, the way that we handle disaster, we have disaster like every day in, in like a clinical setting, right? We have amazing poker faces. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, all that stuff I think is really, really helpful. I think communication was the biggest takeaway for me. Being able to communicate really well, being able to, you know, I think actually dentistry, especially because we're pitching a lot of concepts to patients that are quite foreign. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of concepts in dentistry that are real weird. Like, oh, hey, um, your bite's off because your occlusion's 
you know, I need to deprogram you. Yeah. <laughs> I need to I need to build up your occlusal tape. Like all these weird things that are just like conceptual based. Then you know, some of them don't even have real science behind them. But we have to we have to convince that patient that you know that they need it because they actually do. But we need to convince them in a way that they understand. Mm. And I think that's really important because um, in business you have to convince a lot of people to understand what you're doing, right? And that's how you build really great partnerships over time. And that's how you find, um, you know, other amazing businesses to leverage off as well and how you communicate with staff and get them to believe in your vision too. Yeah, I guess the reason I ask you is because ever since the COVID-19 thing started happening, a lot of dentists don't have um, an income at this point. Yeah. And um, a lot of comments are going around about how dentistry is so one-dimensional and it's difficult to find another job, which is why I guess I wanted your take on it. And do you think that your lives have changed a lot since you, you – you've stopped clinical dentistry now, have you? Um, yeah, I stopped. I still do. Surprisingly, I still do um, like presentations and lectures. Oh, no um, way. So I was, actually at, I was actually at ADX like two weeks ago. I did a presentation on ceramics, which was <laughs> uh, last year we did like a roadshow actually with Bupa and GCD. We did um, like we did like five states. Uh, which was pretty insane. Um, yeah, but I think that might be it. Uh, uh, yeah. When did you um, When did you think it was time to, I guess, stop clinical dentistry? Was it when the business was getting uh, a lot bigger and you needed to be more hands-on? Yeah, that's um, that's a good question, actually. So we, well, I actually resigned. So Zane graduated and then I resigned, yeah, at the same time. Yeah, so that was towards the um, end of 2018. And then 2019 was our first full year together um, in business. So it's kind of crazy to think about it now because, um, you know, we started mid 2017 and then 2018 was like, 2018 was actually a crazy year because, um, I'd fly over to Gold Coast, um, every other weekend. Yeah, that's um, crazy. So I'd do the weekends there and then, um, Zane would be doing work from like, you know, uh, the very early mornings and then after clinic as well. And then in, in 2018, we actually had some staff. Um, as well so they were working out of um, out of his apartment at that stage so we had like a customer care rep we had like a social media person um, we had an external advertising team um, as well and we had like dispatch staff as <laughs> well so, yeah so um, it was I, I imagine it would have been a very very odd setup for them having having bosses that were never around yeah um, that's crazy just in his apartment yeah, 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 pretty much. So, good, good tax um, write-off for the apartment, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, very much so. A home office. So when when the business grew to that point, you you knew you needed to you needed to quit dentistry at that point. Is that right? Well, we we um so we had a decision um, we needed to make at that point. So at that point, Zane, we got Zane to graduate, and so the main role of the business was done at that stage. Oh, so, yeah, that's right, because the whole point was to get him through Griffith Uni. The whole point, school. yeah, the whole point was to get him to graduate. So we got him to graduate, paid up all his fees, and then we had a decision. So we sat down and we were like, okay, like now we're at a crossroads because we have to decide we either do this full-time and we put all of our heart um, into it or we shut everything down and um, we do dentistry. And... Um, <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't too keen about that that second idea. <laughs> yeah, so Zane um, Zane didn't want the second option at all, so he wanted to launch straight into business. Um, but it took me a lot of um, internal, like I needed to convince myself uh, to leave, even though I knew the business was amazing. Um, 
the thing for me was that I'd worked really hard at dentistry and at really excelling myself, trying to be the best practitioner that I could. And um, I'd spent a lot of money at that stage on my education as well. So not just the university education, but all my continuing education. Um, I built a decent enough reputation to start getting referrals and stuff like that from, um, you know, other dentists or, or specialists like around our area. So for me, it was really hard. Plus, we had an amazing team in Auckland. I had an amazing boss, um, had an amazing assistant, um, auxiliary staff and all that stuff. It was like, it was basically like the dream job for me at that stage in dentistry. So it was incredibly hard um, to have to make that call. But I had to I had to do it early on because I didn't want to screw the clinic over as well. Yeah, for sure. So by, yeah. So by August um, 2018, I had to sit down um, with my with my boss and kind of tell her, hey, this thing's actually um, <laughs> done a lot better than we all expected and um, it's time we move full time. But, you know, the great thing about it was um, uh, she really supported that move as wow. well. Which was, yeah. That's incredible. That's, There's not that many bosses who are that supportive. Yeah, I know. Especially in dentistry. You hear a lot of bad stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially in dentistry. So my boss was super understanding about it. She was like, you know what? I knew this day would come. Um, you know, you, you know, I've been, t- I had been telling her about the movements that we were making and the successes we were having and stuff. So she knew that the day was coming. Um, and she was like, you know, I fully support you. I don't want you to feel like you've lost an opportunity by Incredible. staying here and not, hmm. and not doing what you want to do. And then my other colleague as well, um, said the same thing, which you know, I thought was, was amazing. I really didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, I expected them to be like, Oh, what the hell are you doing? You worked so hard get to where you are because that, that's the other thing is like that's what my parents are saying right my parents are like what are you doing you know you've really? come so far in your profession why would you why would you suddenly switch that all up honestly that's what my parents would say <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. like it's it's like why would you give up the stable doctor yeah. or dentist stable job life. to yeah. go yeah. into business which is what we went into when we immigrated here to support yeah. you why are you going from Same. stable to unstable yeah. Same, same exact story that yeah. my dad was saying. My mom was saying the exact same thing. She was like, you know, you guys are ridiculous <laughs> um, for doing this. What are you doing? Um, you've studied so hard. We've paid all this money to, like, get you guys where you are and all this stuff. Um, yeah, but, you know, thankfully, you know, I, and I really looked up to my boss as well. She was, like, a really great mentor of mine. Um, so when I kind of heard that from her, I was like, okay, like, I kind of know that I'm making the right move now. Yeah. Um, and talked to other, you know, a few other people and they all said, yeah, it's definitely the right move to kind of transition from, you know, your a profession to something that's a little bit more risky, I guess. Yeah. Did, have you found it um, super different to when you were a dentist day to day? Like, do you enjoy your current job more or is it, is it not really a comparison? And um, there are, there definitely are comparisons. Like at the end of the day, a job is a job, right? It's, but it's like what you kind of make of it. I guess. Yeah. So, um, while dentistry was stressful and, you know, I, I think you were saying before, like, oh yeah, dentistry is really stressful. And then you look at like some um, professions and they're just doing, I don't know, with their filing paperwork or whatever. And you're like, oh, well, you know, like I do much crazier stuff. And I went into it like the same thing. I was like, uh, dentistry, super stressful, but I've got it sorted. I know how to manage my stress. Yeah. Running a business is, is going to be nothing like operating in a, in a clinic or whatever. 
right? And then you get into business and suddenly you've got to like manage staff and you've got to manage different personalities and you've got to like make sure that you're profitable and you've got to make sure that you're like, you know, meeting all these targets and like all this stuff. And you're like, holy crap, this is so insane. But the main thing, the main thing for me, uh, you know, the thing that I actually lost a lot of sleep over when I first transitioned was, um, you know, we had a rapidly growing team. We were hiring, I think like every two weeks, we were hiring a new person in our office um, at the start of 2019. And so I lost a lot of sleep over how do I keep everybody loving what they're doing and how do I keep everybody motivated and feeling like they're part of the company and like in a greater sense and just working for us. Yeah. Building team culture, right? That was, that was something that really spooked me out because I came from a clinic that had amazing team culture. Like everybody knew exactly what their role was. They knew if they didn't do something that it was going to impact the business you know, they, they knew that nobody else was going to clean up after themselves. And they, they, everybody had this like owner's mentality as well. Like they were, we were for like the common good. Like, I feel like you had a really good place. Yeah, I was. I, that's, one of, that's why it was so hard to leave. Um, so yeah, so that was the thing that I lost the most sleep over is like, man, how do I keep these guys motivated? And especially cause we had like, I was the oldest person in our team. I was what, like 26, seven at that stage and I was the oldest <laughs> one you know? <laughs> you know everybody else was around like 20 21 wow <laughs> uh, yeah and I mean they were amazingly talented like it wasn't like I could not be that talented at that age like some of the videographers that had worked for us and stuff like they were just insane but um so that's the other thing and I was reading all the stuff you know like I was reading like Harvard Business Review and The Economist and like all these sort of articles and like you know, they were always talking about startups have this crazy rate of staff turnover. And, uh, you know, and, and no, startups just don't know how to build culture. They don't know how to retain staff. Um, they employ all these young people that just, um, you know, that they're just burning through and stuff like that. And, and, and that freaked me out because I was like, man, I don't want to I don't want um, to have to um, retrain people, um, you know, every few weeks. I don't want to burn through staff. I don't want to, um, you know, have um, bad relationships with people and stuff and have that burn me later in life as well. So um, I figured out, you know, I, I, I figured out what motivates people to come to work and like what they're passionate about, um, figured out like a way to speak to them that they resonated with um, as well. Cause it's, you know, it's different in a dental setting. Like I think we're very lucky in a clinical setting where we can talk in terms that we all understand. Like if I go, Hey, I need, um, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a root canal today and I need this kit and I need a number 25 file. Yeah. Like my nurse knows right away. Okay, yeah, cool. That's true. But if I'm pitching a concept to someone and I'm like, oh yeah, I want us to do like this and I want it to look like that. And we're going to pitch this product and customers are going to feel this way. That's like, there's no common language there whatsoever. And it's so easy to misinterpret stuff. It's insane. Right. So that was another challenge as well. It's like going from like a set language structure to going to something so fluid and like ensuring everybody was along, like for the journey um, at the same time. But, you know, once I figured that out, it was great. Like we, we really don't burn through any staff at all. Like the majority of our staff that we've had when we started are still here. That's amazing. That's, that's really, really incredible in this climate. Like everybody is, yeah. just and jumps from job to job to job. Yeah. It really is. And like, you know, um, we started this year, um, we started this year, we did a, like a company values exercise at the, at, on the first day. So I was like, first day, we'll just do like a reorientation type thing. 
we had everyone in, together in the same room. And so we did, um, okay, what are our values? Like, what do we stand for as a company? And I was in my mind, I was like, I'm not contributing anything. I want everybody to tell me what they think, right? Like, what do you think of us? And how do we portray ourselves to the public? And the responses that we got, like, almost made me like shed tears because I was so happy at the way that, that we all were on the same page. Like everything that they said was, was everything that I wanted to say. And at that point I was like, man, you know, I've done my job. Like to an extent, obviously it yeah. never finishes. But to an extent, <laughs> well, that's like the biggest quality of being a leader, right? That you get everyone on the same page and it's cohesive yeah. and everybody respects each other. Um, yeah. so do you, do you miss anything about dentistry? And you know, the funny thing, I, I only asked that because I mean, I'm doing a podcast about career change, not, not necessarily yeah. that I want to, but you know, it's exploring it and yeah. do you ever miss it? Or do you, are you, are you literally what everyone is like, Oh, Omar's living the great life of not being a dentist. <laughs> no, um, I definitely, I definitely miss like, I definitely miss my patients. I'd say, okay. I, you know, yeah, we had some really great patients and I, I literally just miss drilling into stuff. Like as weird as that sounds, <laughs> it's it's like oddly satisfying, you know, just like drilling stuff. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I definitely, I honestly miss, I miss dentistry. Like if I had time to um, practice, I'd definitely love to do like two days a week wow. or something like that, like a day a week. You know what? That's and that's that's of, incredible to hear because um, I remember when your article got posted, it was like a lot of comments were like, "The guy's done something right," you know, got out before it was. I know. <laughs> I know. And even my friends, my, all my dental colleagues, like, say the same thing. They're like, you're smart, man. You got out at the right time yeah, and all this stuff. I hear that comment but, so often. Like, the amount of yeah. times my friends linked your article to me uh, when we were when I was starting this whole thing off. Uh, but I'd read it already, but they were like, Kath, this is it. Like, this is the <laughs> moment. This is your goal in life is to get out. So Yeah. But it's, it's funny. Like, it, you know, my, my, um, my colleagues say the same thing. And um, but the thing is, is like, no matter what you get out of and go into, like if you're not passionate about that, it's still going to be another job. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like that's what, pe- that's what people, like a lot of my colleagues would be like, I hate dentistry. I want to get out. I want to do, I want to do what you're doing. And I'm like, do it. But like, if you're not, if you're not passionate about it, you're going to hate it. Like just as much as whatever you think you're hating right now. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing. Like a lot of people don't, don't um, think about it as well. It's not, it's not the job. It's just like, it's just your perspective and the way you're, you're putting your foot forward. Is that your sort of piece of advice for people who think, who are possibly thinking about making a career change? I know heaps of people now are thinking about making a career pivot, not yeah. not because they want to necessarily, but might might be because they, they have, have to. to. Yeah. What yeah. what's your um what's your advice to them if they're wanting to make a transition? If you're passionate about something, I wholeheartedly believe that you can find a way to to do something with that. You can find a way to monetize that passion. And when you are passionate about something, then you're going to be 10 times better at it than anybody else who's just doing it for the money. Yeah, that's true. Right? So if you're feeling that dentistry is not for you anymore because suddenly you've fallen out of love with it and you're not passionate about it, or maybe it's just because of the sentiment that everybody else has, I think it's very beneficial to just take a moment, step back, and like evaluate the things that you feel are detrimental to the profession or you feel are detrimental to the way you feel about the profession mm. and then identify the things that you feel that you're good at that could be a potential new starting point for you as well. Yeah. The easiest way to get passionate about something is just by spending more time doing it, right? And they always say like, 
you do something for 10,000 hours and that's when you start to become good at it. Like when you get, when you get, um, when you spend more time on something, you become more passionate about it because you have, you have, you have more of an, of an investment in it than somebody else does. Right. And that's where passion starts. It's like, you're more invested than the average Joe and a certain, in a certain topic, subject, profession, whatever it is. But that's how it starts, right? If we really break it down, that's how it starts. It's like an amalgamation of, of tiny, tiny, tiny steps, right? And then, yeah, like that's all people need to remember. Like I feel like everybody forces themselves to like burn out. But I guarantee like if you if you take just like five minutes out of your day, I, I, hey, this is something we do at work actually. So at the end of the day, we encourage everyone to do reflective thinking. So um, everyone in our team you know, we buy them all little diaries and stuff for this exercise, <clears throat> but they encourage to ask themselves three questions at the end of the day. So the first question is, what did I do well today? Then the second question is, what do I feel I didn't do well? Or what do I feel didn't go so well for me today? And then number three is like, how can I take those learnings to improve? Right. And so this is actually something I did at university. So, um, in my, my last year we did honors and like, some strange reason this was part of the honors program <laughs> and but it was something that I absolutely hated doing in the beginning and then like as the months passed I was like this is insanely beneficial like I learned so much faster improved so much faster than anyone else because I was simply doing reflective thinking and I was figuring out like who I was as well right and we do that we get that um, we get our staff to do that as well and like people just pick things up so quickly because they're able to reflect on like what they did that day, what they learned, how they're implementing it, how they're improving. Yeah. I guess you don't you know? know what you don't know about yourself, right? If you don't, if you, if you don't see it, you don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm on my last question and then I'll let you go. Uh, yeah. The last question is just, well, it's a bit up in the air now, but I guess what are your steps now for the future? Cause I know you had a lot going on, um, but I know this virus has come on board. Yeah, we're still um, like we haven't given up on anything. Like we're still um, we're still pursuing all the dreams. We're just we're just um, we're just being more adaptable. I think that's the key thing, and I think we're quite fortunate in the sense that we can be adaptable. You know, we we, we were looking at dentistry before and how you know you can't really do anything once your practice closes, right? No, you can't. So that's you know that's a bit unfortunate, but I guess in e-commerce the space is a little bit more adaptable. So what we're doing is we're pushing some of our plans that we wanted to do at a later date forward and we're doing them earlier. Um, so we're expanding, um, you know, we were planning to expand into Asia in a stronger sense um, later down in the year. And now we're pushing that forward. So we're doing that right now. So like last year we pushed into Japan and Japan has grown into like our second largest market now for um, export. And um, we've been working on a project for South Korea for the last three to four months. And so we pushed that live last week. Um, and, you know, the unfortunate thing with that is that when we pushed that live half an hour later, Australia Post called to say, you can't ship to South Korea yeah. anymore. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> which, was a bit, which was a bit of a nightmare. But but we're working through that. We've got some new shipping partners and stuff. But we're basically just trying to be as adaptable as we can in the opportunities that present themselves to us. And when we look at um, when we look at history and the way that these sorts of things have gone down, the people that survive are the people that are making the most of the opportunities that they have right now, right? So even right now, we look at like look at the fashion conglomerates like in Italy, right? They've all been forced to shut down. They actually have to shut production, but but they've gone from 
um, a disaster mentality by saying, oh my God, we're going to lose all this revenue. We have no money coming in, blah, blah, blah. To going, okay, how can we make the most of the situation right now? We're shifting all of our production to health um, yeah. uh, PPC production. That's right, yeah. Right? And at least we can still make money. It's not going to be the same money, but at least we can make some money. Like we can keep employing people. We can keep business running, keep doors open, stuff like that, you know? So that's um, that's the sort of mentality that we're adapting because retail is not immune. Retail is like one of the first things that's going to go. Yes, because no disposable income means can't yeah. buy things. Yeah. Yeah, and we're already seeing that. We've seen so many great retailers shut their doors. Um, and no one's immune to that, but you just got to be adaptable. You just got to find out what your thing is that you're going to be able to, to um, transition into. Yeah. And that's what we're focusing on. Thank you so much, Omar. This has been a really good chat. I've learned a lot from you. That's been, that's been fantastic. I think you guys are going to be really awesome. Um, I, I love, I love the story and I, I hope to see the success continue and continue. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks Omar. I'll let you go. Thank you. See you later. Bye. And that was my conversation with Omar. And I want to thank him again for coming on the podcast. Our chat was really insightful for me personally, and I hope that it was as inspiring to you as it was for me. It goes to show that with grit and determination, an idea that seemed impossible can become a successful reality. Congratulations to Omar and his brother Zane again on their Forbes 30 under 30 feature. Now, if you want to keep up to date, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as following on Instagram at The Inspired Pro and on Facebook at The Inspired Professional. And if you want to send me an email, just head to the website www.theinspiredprofessional.com. I'll catch you on the next one and stay safe, everyone.